A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello and welcome to the Call 10 Stocks picked by you. Two experts, one hour. It is Friday the 9th of September. I'm Andrew Gagan. Good to have you with us. Our experts today, Adam Dawes from Shore and Partners and Mark Gardner from Macro Capital. Welcome to both of you guys. Um, not a bad uh, morning on the market. I'm just looking at what's moving at the moment. My goodness, lithium. It just... <laughs> well, no. Not all stocks though, Adam. So not don't get too stocks. excited. No, but my resources... Well, mineral resources, which of course it's not, well, it has has a stake in, yep. in lithium, but yep. it's saying, well, is this based on the fact of saying no definitive plans to list yep. its lithium business? <laughs> its shares are up 11%. Yeah, so I've had three clients call me today and saying, why is mineral resources up when yeah. they've said no to a potential listing of the lithium business? I think that the market doesn't believe that they aren't looking at listing their lithium business. So I think that's what the market's getting behind. And if you look into the wording, it does say that we have looked at some strategic uh, positioning, but we don't think it's material enough to mention it to the market. So that's sort of, it's not a definitive no, but it's not a definitive yes as well. So I think the market doesn't believe them and it potentially might be looking at a listing further on down the track. Mark, I know we've spoken about lithium stocks before. I mean, how, how do you look at MinRes in that space then? There could be another reason for that because I, th- I do believe a competitor station this morning may have, when I was listening as I was writing the morning report, actually reported that as they were doing it and then I think then corrected uh-huh. themselves. So uh-huh. that may be another reason why someone's picked up the story because that's how I heard it initially. Is, um, so, uh, yeah, look, I, lithium, as far as we, we had a lot of uh, Alcom PLS. Um, but you sold. We're out, yeah. yeah. Well, for now, I think we'll probably get them, slight, we'll probably get them lower um, again. Uh, we're certainly looking to buy back in. Um, I, I did not expect a nine-week rally to equal to be 110-odd percent, which, I, which for me now really th- sort of looks a little bit frothy overall so um, it'd be interesting to see where the sun to tip because we've got lion town down close to five percent today core is also down like uh yet yet pilbara is it's still going just, yeah, well that's you know the joy of 95 odd percent margins on yep. your product so um and and uh, you know i think there was a report from macquarie saying i think they've got a price target of about five dollars sixty saying that these um these soon-to-be producers are nowhere near as uh, going to be coming online nowhere near as quickly as what everyone's saying they are. Yeah. So mm-hmm. that you know that deficit. So you know, Alcom and uh, PLS, I think particularly, well, you know, they're going to really make hay while the sun shines. Um, yeah, no, look, I've switched. You know, to try and stick in the battery play at nickel mines is quite cheap at the moment, just to try and have an interest in still. So yep. it's you know it's been battered down for for no particular reason at all. There's been a sort of fairly large sell order in the market the last couple of days. It seems to be finishing up. So hopefully that'll sort of that'll start to pick up, and um, you know that already pays a decent dividend. The outlook's pretty good. So. Yeah, well, plenty uh, plenty of spaces to look in the battery metals space. All right, let's. Um Take a look at what's where, uh, what you guys want to hear from us today. The first five, Goodman Group, News Corp, Telstra, Apollo and Centuria Industrial REIT. Our stock of the day is Ramsey Healthcare. Now, there's a bit of news about here saying it's talks to sell its Malaysian joint venture are over with the potential sort of walking away from its indicative proposal valuing the business at $1.83 billion. This is the Syme Derby Holdings to uh, IAH. Uh, healthcare, so that's fallen through. Um, it's, it did not result in a binding agreement, but I guess the broader interest in Ramsey is all about that uh, potential takeover from KKR, which also felt fell through. But perhaps the thought there, Adam, that mm. they're going to come back. <clears throat> yeah, well, KKR obviously put more conditions around that bid, and and that obviously has then seen the share price consolidate a little bit uh, around here. 
The JV, obviously, uh, those Malaysian or that JV in Malaysia is over. That's not a great sign. I think Ramsey Healthcare is trying to clean up their book, trying to get rid of some non-core assets, uh, and that certainly uh, isn't going to be great for them going forward as well. But um, looking like at the at the the share price there, it well, doesn't look too it's bad. Back to its average, really. Yeah. Isn't it? So yeah. I mean. If you think KKR is going to come back in with a higher bid or, or, or less conditions, potentially Ramsey is, is, is a buy down here uh, at these levels because, yeah, looking on a historical level, I think that's uh, exactly, if, the, if it can hold this sort of $70, uh, basically, yeah, it, it's, it's going to stay here and potentially go higher. Um, so, yeah, I'd be comfortable to hold on to Ramsey. I don't think it's a buy. I think they've got to get through some of this stuff and get KKR out of the way or, or at least clear it up so that uh, shareholders can get a clear direction on what's going to happen. Mark, uh, when you look at a stock like Ramsey's potential takeover um, there, do, is that worth looking at when you look at perhaps a company and think, well, it is a, a takeover target, therefore it's worth having a punt? Uh, it depends on the situation. It's a situation like Oz Minerals, for instance, I think it's probably not because I think BHP is pretty much the only person or the only company that's going to be able to buy it. And it was comfortably trading 40% lower beforehand. Whereas this at the moment where it stands, um, it is back to sort of the average price. We're holders of it um, more so just with the recent volatility, obviously market fluctuations. We want to put some healthcare into portfolios, which are non-cyclical. Um, I mean, that that previous bid, I think, still was at the $88 mark for shareholders under 5,000 shares. So I think it's around the 300 grand mark or something like that. So, you know, there's there's still obviously interest there. Mm. It, um, it's a big, complicated business. So we've, we've pretty happy to absorb or, um, you know, accumulate around this, like around this level here as it stands at the moment, just just on the back of the safety of it. I mean, realistically, it's not going to fall back a hell of a long way um, if, if there is absolutely both parties walk away from the table. Um, but there is good upside there. It yields okay. Um, and as I said, there's, I don't think we're quite through the, uh, you know, quite through you know, the market turmoil. Um, I know we've had a fairly buoyant, say, sort of eight weeks, or, but, um, you know, it's only going to take a high inflation number next week and all of a sudden panic will set in again or, a, you know, a stray missile supposed to go over Taiwan doesn't go over Taiwan or something like that. So we're still sort of looking at a little bit of safety. So, you know, and this one, this one has it for us and it's a high quality business as well. So, um, so yeah, we're, we're, a, we're a buy here at 70. Okay. In fact, you're accumulating. We'll accumulate, yeah. Fair enough. All right. Um, let's get into those uh, stocks as picked by you. Our first one, Goodman Group. Uh, Dean wanted to know about this. It is the Integrated Commercial Industrial Property Group. Um, owns, develops, manages real estate, uh, warehouses, uh, logistics facilities, um, and office parks on a global front. Mark, um, just taking a look at the share price, um, it has been disappointing. It's off around 15% for the year, despite what we're seeing in that space at the moment. Yeah, I think it, uh, I mean, Goodman's got a little bit of development in it as well. Um, and obviously that's probably hurt it a lot. Um, it doesn't yield a lot either. Um, it's significantly lower than the industry, than the sec- industry sector. Um, it's average yield around sort of 5.6%. Um, at this price, though, I mean, they're, they're great management. Um, historically, very low PE. Um, towards the start of the year at those highs, PE was sort of in the, you know, in the low 20s. It's now more around, you know, 11 or 12. So um, our, our preferred choice in this space at the moment, again, just being a little bit more conservative is CIP, which we've got coming up later on. Um, and But this is one that, you know, when, when we get a little bit more clarity on the macro outlook and uh, the economic cycle, et cetera, then... It's certainly one that um, you know, we'll, we will, uh, you know, we'll be picking up because it does tend to run harder to the upside. Um, as you, as if you compare that to CIP, for instance, um, you know, it's it, it is the much more aggressive play. So, and I, at, the, at this point in time, it's you know, the aggression's not really in you know, in our arsenal. Um, we're just sort of you know happy to take the uh, the extra dividend yield, etc. But they've got you know high occupancy, ninety nine percent. Their margins are great. They've you know they've they've always performed well. So yeah, it'll be a it'll be a buy on dips for us. Okay, Adam. Oh, I'm going to disagree. I think it's a buy all day long. Very comfortable with Goodman Group. I don't really like CIP, so we'll uh, <laughs> we'll see how we go on that other side. But yeah, look, absolutely. 
Um, the reason I think the, the stock price has come back a little bit, obviously it gets thrown in the bucket with real estate or REITs. Um, it, it means that higher interest rates potentially has a bit of an issue with that. Dividend yield, yeah, is, is pretty anemic, but um, overall their um, rate expansion is looking good. Near term, they've got performance fees that they can pull on. They've got market rent growth, as well as they've got a healthy work in progress or strong tailwinds that are going forward as well. Another reason why I think the share price has come off a little bit, Goodman Group actually came out and said that uh, their, their, the guidance for 2023 was going to be a little bit conservative. Now, Macquarie Bank does this regularly. They, they, they talk it down, but then they are able to talk it up at the end of the year. And I think that's exactly what these guys are doing. We still see that 2023 looks very much intact. Lots of rent, as you say, uh, weighted average lease and, and occupancy at 99%. Um, so there's, there's basically nothing around. They're going to be building some more parks. And I think that's the thing is going to be tough for them to find good sites and then cost of those sites. So that might drag on the overall capital expenditure. But overall, it's a fantastic business and I like it. I would be buying it down at these levels, no problem. All right. Yeah, there's a great right. stat with the, the, the amount of industrial real estate that's needed um, for the next five years is something like 3 million square metres. And there's only applications or plans for about a million. So, yeah. but I mean, look, either or realistically, um, it's, yeah, we, we, we play this this between CIP and Goodman's back and forth quite a bit sometimes. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it's, but that, that, that entire space really has tailwinds for quite some time. All right, well, we'll expand on that uh, very shortly because we are going to take a look at Centuria in a moment. Uh, first, though, our next one we're taking a look at is News Corp. Max wanting to know about this, um, its results, um, 11% increase in full year revenue um, and net income up to 95 percent in fact um adam in the news business of course um and i guess got to look at i guess ad revenue at the moment in the face of yeah you know rising inflation and interest rates well it's interesting and a great segue because i was just about to talk about ad revenue so mm. perfect um but yeah less cyclical than expected uh De- um nas that's i'm going to start again news corp uh revenues are spread across a fair few part of their division so foxtel uh, Dow Jones and all of their news media as well. But advertising revenue only comprised of 16% in 2022. So there's a lot of other levers that these guys can pull, um, illustrating that there's a bit of a transition, I think, that the group's going through. Remember, they do hold fairly substantial uh, holdings in REA, about 60% of, of REA, and they've got no intentions of taking that over. Uh, pulling the sum of parts. Actually, News Corp doesn't look too bad. I'm never a fan of media, and I've been sort of fairly vocal uh, about that as well. But it's not just media, News Corp. They've got a lot of other things going on. So for me down here, I actually don't mind it at $25. Um, I think that their results are going to beat expectations. So I'm going to say um, that I'll be comfortable with a buy on News Corp. Mm, Okay. Mark, do you agree? Yeah, I do agree. Um, I think the analysts have been pretty... Pretty heavy-handed or dour on the on the media sector mm-hmm. altogether, really. Um, I think Seven West Media has done quite well. Uh, Nine's one of our holdings. Um, it's yielding the highest. It's got it's yielded for quite some time. The lowest PE as well. Um, we're next to today, but they're but similar to what Andrew, um, Adam's saying. Uh, about the you know they've they've spread their business out now like mm. uh, nine's forty six percent in uh, you know is more online um, obviously News Corp you know doing the same thing so it's not it's not as prone to uh, the economic cycle as it used to be and I think uh, you know quite a few of these analysts probably you know maybe need to update their uh, update their models on the compositions of these businesses because they're um, you know they're they're sort of being painted with a brush that's, you know, a little bit prehistoric. Uh, these businesses have gone to great efforts to change over the last few, over the last five years. They were heavily criticised, and um, and they've come out the other side, you know, um, fairly well, most of them. So um, I think an upside target on this one's like 33, I think, uh, consensus. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, if you're looking at, um, if you want a higher yield, a nine's around about sort of the 7% mark, um, and a low PE, this one... You know, similar PE, slightly le- you know less on the yield, but um, possibly a little bit more upside and a little bit more global exposure. So you are a buyer, yeah. Yes. All right. 
That is News Corp. All right, let's move on to Telstra. We know what it does. Uh, Brian <laughs> wanted to know about this. And in fact, uh, change at the top because uh-huh. Andy Penn has uh, signed off. In fact, uh, in his departure, he said he's uh, simplified the business, digitized it, uh, complaints have more than halved, and we've improved the financial trajectory of the business and we're delivering some great tech solutions, repro- replaced by the, um, the CFO, Vicky Brady. Um, Mark, how, how does this make a difference to a business when you've got uh, such a, a significant change at the top there? Well, Andy Penn's done a fairly good job. Uh, I was on the, when I think the last time we had uh, had this stock on the call, uh, and he was interviewed beforehand. So, and you know, it was about the most enthusiastic I've been about Telstra for quite some time. But um, but look, it's not really something you know. It's dividend payout ratios are sort of creeping into you know they're sort of paying out a little bit more than what they're earning. Their earnings per share was less than their dividend per share. Um, uh, we've obviously. I, I think it's a good thing that they've brought people internally into, um, you know, to continue his work, uh, and obviously that that would uh, that should smooth out, you know, the management changeover. But um, it doesn't really yield enough. It's a pretty, you know, it's a it's just a behemoth of a business that you know it doesn't. It's getting more agile, and I'd pro- but I'd probably just want to wait and see. I think there's much better places to have your money um, put at the moment. Um, you know, getting better yields on lower PEs that are just as stable generally. So, yeah, and look, if you want something in the communications sector, I think Aussie Broadband's quite cheap at the moment as well. So mm. there's an opportunity there in terms of share price, not in terms of dividends. So, that's so, sort of, so you're saying you're effectively sort of wasting your time holding it then? I, I, yeah, I don't think the return on equity's been that fantastic, to be honest, over the last sort of 10 years. It's gone sideways forever. So yeah. it looked great when the market was getting hammered, if you're going to use it as a benchmark, but that's about it really for me. But yeah, it's not not really, it's not really something that I, I tend to hold. It's you know we get any you know portfolios come in. It's one of the first things I'll, I'll sort of get rid of and shift it to something else. I'm taking that as a sell then. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Adam. Yeah, look, I'm going to stay neutral on it or a hold. Um, I do have a lot of clients with Telstra, and they're all about that income. And I sort of at pains to tell them that that income has been reduced so many times over the you know the the last ten years. It's been just been reduced. So. I think Telstra last half actually upped their dividend a little bit, which I think everybody got really excited about, and then sort of then and now started to come back. It was over four bucks, and then sort of started to come back. But on to Mark's point, ROE is at eleven times. That's nothing to be writing home about. You know, you want businesses with sort of eighteen to twenty times ROE. So really, that return on equity is not that great. Dividend yield of four percent, hundred percent franking. So it's not too bad. They did start talking about some other themes that they want to bring out to the business or wanted to bring out to customers, and that's the Internet of Things. We've all heard that story. It's, it's you know, you're not telling us anything new here, Telstra. And they're talking about innovation of connectivity. So, in other words, their healthcare businesses and all those kinds of things moving forward. So, it's really not an exciting stock. It's really nothing that, you know, you sort of can see some real big movements in. But a lot of clients, it's very difficult to get them to sell. Um, so... Um, I'm neutral on the story. Um, I'm not, certainly not putting any fresh money in it. Any, any client that does have it, we are trying to reduce their weightings in it. Um, but yeah, for me, uh, I'll be a hold on it at the do you, moment. Do you like any other telcos? I love Aussie Broadband. Mm. And um, I, yeah, we, we, wrote, we bought very low. We wrote it all the way up. I tried to get clients to take some profits, sell. We're back down here again. We're accumulating our Aussie Broadband down here as well. That's in a yeah, bit of trouble, but I think it's, it's going to be okay. All right, let's hit the road with Apollo. <laughs> Dean wanted to know about this. Uh, it rents, sells, distributes uh, recreational vehicles, uh, of course, uh, which was all the rage during COVID. Remains to be seen, I guess, whether that momentum is going to continue. In fact, it is planning a uh, merger with Tourism Holdings, um, but that's subject to the ACCC. Um, taking a good look at that. So, Adam, what are your thoughts on Apollo? So first of all, uh, for any investors out there, well, hopefully they're all investors out there, but for the investors out there, it's basically looking at businesses that are having a COVID hangover. Mm. So the likes of Domino's, Temple and Webster, um, there's plenty of them out there that were real big beneficiaries of COVID because of their business model and everything that happened. 
So what's happening now is we've got this massive hangover and you can see Domino's share price, you know, rallied 150 bucks and it's back down to wherever it is, 80, whatever it is today. Um, that's that hangover now or those businesses unwinding from that such a potentially high profitability when everybody was locked down. Then there was the reopening trade and everybody was still going, okay, well, let's buy Qantas, let's buy Webjet, let's buy Flight Center because it's a reopening trade. That trade has now also gone from here. So for me, this one is a sell. Um, I don't think, I think it is going to continue to be one of those hangovers of that COVID as well as that reopening trade, which is all, all but gone. Um, it is going to be tough. They have got some government assistance, I saw, that they've received $25 million in assistance from governments. But for me, um, caravans just don't really do it for me. So I'm going to You're say, not at that age yet, clearly. <laughs> I mean, I've got grey hair, but, uh, you know. Um, no, nomad. No, nomad uh, at the moment. But you can spend 100 grand on a, on a, on yeah, a caravan these days. Yeah, and then some. And then some, there you go. So, you know, maybe, but I think it's, uh, it's a tough year for travel-related uh, companies like this one. And it's that unwinding of that COVID the, uh, hangover that I think you just don't need to be around. All right, Mark. Yeah, I agreed to sell. I mean, in terms of COVID hangovers, I mean, this company barely had a drink and still got a hangover, to be honest. It didn't, it should have performed well um, yeah. when it, you know, over that COVID period, um, there was backlogs for caravans, et cetera. So, it, and, it, and it just didn't really make a hell of a lot of money, if any money at all, to be honest. Um, I don't really see where the analysts are seeing the upside here. It's, uh, it's fairly close to analyst price target around 60. So, I... Yeah, I, I don't, I really don't see, um, you know, see it improving. Management just had an opportunity of a lifetime for that business and, and meh, like yeah. it was, it did, didn't perform. So, uh, you know, if you can't execute when everything's in your favour, then I'd, yeah, I wouldn't, certainly wouldn't be holding this business. Um, yeah, and, and look, people are going to be going overseas now. They can. Um, I think the Australian government, we removed the masks on planes rule, etc. I don't yeah. know how much of a difference that'll necessarily make. But, um, but yeah, it's, yeah, it, this is definitely a sell for me. I, I, really, I really can't see it turning anything around. The, the merge is probably the best thing for it. Yep. Okay, that is emphatic. It is a double sell. <laughs> All right, let's get back into REITs. So this was mentioned before, uh, Centuria Industrial REIT. Lewis wanting to know about this. So, uh, Mark, here's your opportunity to pick up on what you were talking about mm. earlier. Yeah, look, it, it goes back to that demand. Um, and I think that we've also got expectations of industrial rents you know, going up by about 50% over the next five years. Obviously, these, this has been hit quite hard. Um, it's trading at a discount to NTA, around about 28 odd percent. Uh, that's pretty sector wide. Um, but to, more to, to uh, Adam's point, though, is that the whole REIT sector, I think, it was one of the first rate hikes, just got absolutely yep. hammered. It happens and it every time. And it, and it didn't matter. Yep. It didn't matter. You know, what sector you, subsector you were in. Um, and I yeah, think that, in fact, to May, it yeah, fell off the cliff. It just fell off a cliff. So, right. and you know, we all knew rate hikes were coming. I don't, I'm not entirely sure why. Um, and obviously, it's hit stops, etc. But look, this one yields quite well. It's trading below NTA. It's got a long while, around about nine, nine or ten years. Um, and it'll just be a steady performer, uh, I think, overall. And like I said before, we we tend to switch back and forth a little bit from this in Goodman's. Um, when we sort of start to see, you know, see the uh, the outlook clear up and um, you know have a have a bit more certainty, we'll probably be switching, you know, back into into some Goodmans because I think the uh, the development part of it will help kick that along, um, and they're good operators. So, but at the moment, this one just chips along with a nice quarterly yield. A lot of our clients quite like that quarterly yield as well. Um, you know, they're retired self-managed super uh, styled investors. So. Um, it's just nice getting a little, you know, a little divvy paid every quarter. I think they reaffirmed that today. Um, and I think their uh, earnings per share, are looking at, you know, they're expected to sort of double over the next over the next 12 months. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's ab absolutely a buy for me. All right. Okay. Adam? <coughs> so I'm going to say if you got it, I, I think it's fine. So it's going to be a hold. Um, for me, I always like to be in the number one business or the number one company in the space that it's in. And, and you know, you sort of learn that from 
you know, potentially the buy now, pay later businesses where Afterpay <laughs> was the one that, you know, really basically outstripped everything else. And the second and third and fourth and fifth tier guys just always got, you know, hammered. So Goodman Group is the one who is the number one in the space and is the leader. And that's where I want to be. CIP does it okay because it is quite diversified. They've got 85, uh, sorry, 88 assets uh, and around about $4.1 billion of assets inside of that. And it's quite interesting how they've got distribution centers of transport and logistics, data centers and cold storage. A couple of things about the data center side of things and cold storage, they'd be paying a little bit extra for energy, which is obviously going to be something that they'll have to sort of offset other places. And we saw NextDC, those kinds of businesses getting hit a little bit hard on those side of things. But good diversification, gearing only 33%. That's actually quite good. Uh, gearing for a property trust can be up to sort of 40 to 50% depending on their range. So they do have some money that they can gear and then potentially find some more sites. But again, it comes back to um, there's, there's no free flow of property anywhere in the major centres of Sydney and Melbourne. Uh, and those assets are really hard to come by and you have to pay up for them. So they've got to be careful. I'd stay with Goodman. It'll be a hold on COP for me. Very good. Okay, let's uh, sum up where we've been for the first half of the show. Our stock of the day was Ramsey Healthcare. Look, not a lot of news there, but uh, certainly as far as a joint venture with Malaysia-based uh, Sundam Holdings, that's, uh, that's fallen through. Uh, still subject perhaps to another bid from KKR, but uh, we have to wait and see for that one. Uh, Adam's got a hold on it, and uh, Mark saying it's a safe bet he's uh, accumulating at these levels. Uh, the first one as picked by you, Goodman Group. We've been talking about the REITs there. Uh, Mark is buying on the dip, whereas Adam is convinced it is a straight out buy. Uh, News Corp, uh, Adam making the point is less cyclical than expected, uh, but he's uh, generally not a fan of media. So he's got a, uh, but he does have a buy on it, that said, mm. as does Mark. Telstra, a uh, change at the top there. Uh, as far as the CEO is concerned, Mark's got a sell saying it doesn't yield enough. Uh, Adam is trying to get his clients to trim it. Um, it's a hold. And Apollo, uh, negative. It's a double sell from both. And finally there, the uh, Centuria Industrial REIT, a, a buy from Mark, a steady performer, he says, and Adam has a hold on it. At CMC, we've been in the game for a while, and although a lot of things have changed, our mentality hasn't. We aim to give experienced traders the best trading experience, like our expert platform with its second-to-none trading tools, plus our pricing is completely transparent. That's why people who've been trading for a long time stay with us for a long time. So if you're serious about trading, switch to the market leader trusted for over 30 years. Trade CFDs your way at cmcmarkets.com. You don't own underlying assets. Consider relevant PDS and TM to your information memorandum for CMC Pro accounts at our website. All right, let's uh, catch up with the calls uh, High Conviction Fund. That's picked by our investment committee. The latest episode of that meeting is live for you to watch at ausbiz.com. So let's check in, see what's going on, the movements there. Uh, heading into September, Universal Store Next DC, the Lottery Court, ResMed, and Oz Minerals were removed. Karoon Energy, Boss Resources, Washington H. Sol Pats, Premier Investments and South 32 were added. So in terms of performance, it's up around 2% on a cumulative return basis since its inception at the beginning of March. So keep sending in your requests, keep the call switched on to see which stocks our committee will be looking at next. All right, let's get into the second half of the show. The stocks we'll be looking at, Vanguard Diversified High Growth Index ETF, Megaport, Harvey Norman Premium, and West African Resources. All right, so to the uh, Vanguard Diversified High Growth Index ETF, VDHG. Uh, Nick wanting to know about this one. So effectively it sort of functions as a, an ETF of ETFs, yep. Adam. And uh, high growth ETFs. So they basically said on the fact sheet that they've basically said 90% of the assets are in growth, 10% are gonna be in income. So that's that sort of asset allocation that you'd look at it. And in talking about that asset allocation, they've got 35% of that in Aussie shares and then around about sort of closer to sort of 45% in international shares. There is some hedging that goes in with that to make it a little bit uh, less volatile with the currency. So you've got to be a little bit careful. That does raise up the cost because of that hedging that goes in there. But then they also then have small companies and some more index uh, funds in there as well. So I actually don't mind these Vanguard 
products because I use them for clients that um, need growth, but um, we can we can buy a basket of goods like any ETF, and it has the ability to have that good asset allocation, uh, but only for clients that have got a smaller balance. So if, you, if you're just starting out and you wanna get something and you wanna get access to a larger part of the market, sometimes, sometimes these are good for that. MER or management expense ratio is only 0.27%, so it's actually quite, quite low compared to other ETFs out there. So look, I think it, it, it suits a purpose for a certain investor. I don't usually do it for my larger style clients because we can go in and make these kinds of portfolios ourselves. It's not sort of asset allocation and sort of it's not rocket science what they're doing. But for someone with a lower balance who doesn't really want to look at the market, wants to have that diversification, I think it's a good product for them. So you're about to ask me, is that a buy, hold or sell? Uh, look, for a lower balance client, I think it's a buy. So I'm going to say it's a buy. But for other clients that have got larger balances, we can pretty much do that and replicate that uh, quite easily ourselves. So, yeah, it's a buy. What, what is, uh, you look at your clients, what is the appetite for ETFs? Because as you say, yeah. given what you do, you can build your own portfolio anyway. Yeah. Do they, they tend to prefer that where it gives them sort of, they feel as though they've got greater exposure? Correct, yeah. So instead of just looking at one line in the, in the portfolio, mm. they've got, you know, we've got Aussie equities, we've got international equities, we've got property, we've got international fixed income, we've got domestic fixed income, we've got cash, you know, we've got infrastructure, and we can build out a portfolio. So this is what these guys are doing, making it a lot easier for you. But what we can do is then we can not go into their asset allocation rates, we can lift things up as we see if we like infrastructure, we'll have a higher weighting to that. And we'll be able to fine tune the portfolio a lot better because at the, at the moment you're in the hands of Vanguard and their asset allocation tools. So yeah, we prefer to sort of do it ourselves. Does it come down to the client profile? Because I'm sort of finding, speaking to kids under 30, yeah. or at least in their 20s, um, they tend to like ETFs. Yeah, absolutely. And we, yeah. we love ETFs as well because what it does is, is that for a client, I used to only be able to look at the Australian equity market or let's say 30% of their overall portfolio. Mm. Now I can look at 95% of their portfolio and I can help them with full asset allocation because I've got the tools, ETFs, to buy international ETFs here in Australia. I've got tools to buy bonds, all of those kinds of things in on the market. So it does allow me to be more uh, in control of a client's portfolio, mm. but also then be able to get better returns for them as well. All right, Mark, I'll, I'll get your view on ETFs in general, but specifically uh, the Vanguard Diversified High Growth ETF. How do you look at that one? I 1,000% agree with Adam. We're, this is not something that I'd be... Yeah, this is... If you've got your investing trading wheels on and you want it in your yeah, smaller account balance. Um, but look, this is ETF squared, basically. Um, and look, whilst the management fee's low, I mean, they are going and buying their own funds and then there's a fee on top of that. And then there's a spread and then there's this and, and whether... And look, high growth, I think, is probably a little bit hyperbolic. I mean, if it's high growth, fixed income, 10% allocation there as well. It doesn't seem very high, that high growth to me. They've invented their own benchmark and they've underperformed it consistently. So, yeah, it has underperformed. Yeah, it? so it's... But you would not be able to get this on without, you know, a significant sort of size account balance. Yeah. Um, so, you know, if, if it is, you know, if it's something you want to, you want a dollar average in over the next 10 years as you're starting to invest, um, it's, a, it's a useful product. Um, but yeah, it's, it, I, yeah, it's certainly not something, I mean, it, the fees would start, like the fees would start to get up. And then you're obviously paying your broker to, yeah. to buy it as well. So it, it's not, we can definitely replicate this sort of thing. And, and, you know, more often than not, you'd be sort of outperforming it with the timing as well. So. All right, so it's a no, you're just not looking at it. No, yeah. okay. no. Um, but to my question, uh, to Adam then, more generally with ETFs and perhaps the appetite as far as your clients are concerned, how do you look at them? We will generally use them for, um, you know, thematic trades or mainly offshore exposure mm. um, more than anything else. As far as the ASX 200 goes, we're, we're pretty comfortable doing that ourselves. Um, and, yeah, so, I mean, things like the Triple uh, O Oil ETF has been quite kind to us this year. Um, I think that, you know, that uranium ETF that's just come out from BetaShares as well has got some of, the, some of the producers, which we don't have in Australia at the moment. Mm. Um, which is, you know, which will be, 
we, you know, when we're switching out of the, you know, next to be producers like uh, Boss and Paladin, we can switch back into that and maintain an exposure, but it's a safer exposure because these guys are actually Kamiko and things are, are, are producing. So that's that's where we would use those sorts of things. Um, obviously, we've uh, you know we've been sort of exiting a, a good chunk of our short Nasdaq and short US uh, or uh, BB, BBUS position over the last couple of days. Um, we you, you know those sorts of things um, are where ETFs are quite useful for us. So. It um, and look when and also in the Australian market when the market when the market's quite volatile, um, we're big fans of uh, gear, which is the leverage long of the ASX 200, and that's that's just because it's net, when it gets to silly levels to the downside, mm. you don't have enough time to to go and go and try to replicate that um, or you know do. Or do the stock picking. It's just it's just much easier, um, you know, in those in those fast plays um, to to allocate capital that way. And then as you unwind it, you unwind back into the individual positions. So that's that's sort of how we would we would tend to use the ETFs. But this is yeah, this sort of things. Um, you know, you probably yeah, like I said, for a smaller investor who wants to you know accumulate dollar average, um, yeah, it's it's probably not a bad product over. Yeah over, say, a 10-year period of time, someone in their 20s or 30s or something. Okay. Let's move on to Megaport. Oscar wanting to know about this. It is the global software company. Uh, latest results uh, for FY22, revenue up 40%. Uh, net loss narrowing by 12%. Um, Mark, though, you take a look at the share price, it's off by about 50% over the past 12 months. Yeah, revenue up 40%, but operating costs up 42%. So... Um, I, yeah, this is not the sort of business we're, we're really that fond of at the moment. Um, I think in the tech space, there's a lot of better picks out there as it stands than Megaport. Um, and, and until they show some form of sort of, you know, fiscal discipline, um, it, you know, that's more in line with the, uh, you know, the, the economic outlook, it's not really something we'd necessarily consider. Um, but yeah, look, and this is very volatile. It's one of the, it's one of the top, it's in the top 10 or 20, um, you know, highest average daily ranges mm, as yeah. well. So, you know, you've got to be even, you can lose anywhere up to 10% missing an exit price, exit or entry price. Mm. So it is, you know, you'd have to be watching it pretty pretty closely. The analysts are quite fond of it. I'm, I look, I, I'm not entirely sure why. Um, until they, and look, I think earnings per share are predicted to, to worsen over the next 12 months as well. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a sell for me. Um, if you're a day trader, it's it can be quite a um, you know quite a good one to be in and out of within a very short period of time. Um, but from an investment standpoint, it, um, yeah, you've, it's it's way down the list for tech stocks that um, I'll be you know dollar averaging back into over, yep. over the next you know sort of six to twelve months. Okay, so Adam Mark. Is sort of inve- uh, it's uh, he's recommending it to traders rather than investors. As yeah, such. yeah. What are your thoughts? So uh, we're gonna, I'm going to stay with a hold on it. Um, I, I actually like Megaport as a business. It, it has done well, but overall, the the tech space generally reported in line with expectations. Albeit there were some revisions to the downside um, of the reporting season. Margin pressure certainly drove uh, average consensus for 2023 down about seven percent across the industry and the sector certainly feeling pressure around labour shortages um, as well as um, you know that margin crunch that we've we've seen so overall i think the sector is in a re-rate at the moment hence why i'm happy to place a hold on it we do know there's private equity moving around inside of the uh, tech space with tyro getting catching a little bit of a bid the other day mm. near map uh, trying to get mopped up there and I even think Nitro got a, a little bit of a play as well. So there is uh, interest. I'm not saying that Megaport is a takeover target by any stretch of the imagination, but it is. there are uh, private equity moving in that space and looking around at that one. For me, it's a hold. I've got a lot of clients in it. Um, we're holding on for better times, but I think those better times are going to be to end of 2023 to 2024. So we've still got some bit of water to go under the bridge before we start to see these share prices start to move higher. When you say you got a lot of clients in it, was that because they liked it? No, we, we, we recommended it okay. to clients yep. uh, at higher prices and then continued to buy a little bit more on the way down um, and we're comfortable with it. 
It is actually, Megaport is actually a buy rating on most brokers because of its share price where it is. Yeah. Uh, we're obviously a little bit higher. Um, but yeah, we, we're holding on for better days and hopefully that comes a little bit sooner than when I quoted 2023. <laughs> yeah. All right. Okay, let's move on to Harvey Norman. Maggie wanting to know about the retailer, of course. Um, Adam, uh, taking a look at its share price, I guess it did start to come off once those rates started rising. Of course, yeah. it is uh, very susceptible to where they're going. Well, it's got a large property portfolio yeah. as well. So that's certainly one of the things. But again, this was uh, a COVID beneficiary. Mm. Um, you know, you could big online sales. Um, furnish your house. Furnishings, furnish your house. Uh, yeah, you can see that sort of that, that, that fall after and then obviously interest rate rises as well. Um, so strength, I guess, came from easing of lockdowns. Um, it, that, that happened at the start of 2022. I did buy some Harvey Norman and JB Hi-Fi for that rebuild trade because we had all the floods and we had all this, you know, those sort of things up in Lismore and those kinds of things. And I thought everyone's still got to then buy another TV, buy another couch, you know, got to do these things. But that really didn't translate to the share price. So we've had to unwind some of those positions. Um, the dividend yield is probably the only thing that holds this thing up and, and has low net debt equity as well. ROE is better at sort of 16 times and the dividend yield isn't too bad here at sort of 8% plus franking. So for me, it would be a hold on the dividend alone. Um, there's nothing that really excites me with Harvey Norman overall. Management has, been, has done quite well. Store network, they're only opening a couple of stores, so there's, they've got to have that growth there. But for me, um, yeah, it, again, it's one of those COVID hangover businesses, which I just don't think you need to be there. So it's a hold on the dividend alone. What about more generally retailers then, how you're playing it? <clears throat> yeah, so uh, consumer discretionary uh, uh, retailers, La Visa was the key, mm. and that was the, the standout. Um, I really like that one. I like Uni as well, Universal. City Sheet came out with something today. I think I saw something on that. Um, but yeah, um, we, we've just initiated coverage on Premier Investments and we've got a sort of a decent uh, price target on that. And so that would be my top pick in that discretionary space because you've got such diversification across Just Gene Smiggles, all of those kinds of things. Plus he owns 20% of Meyer, 22% of Breville. Uh, he's sort of hedging his bets a little bit here and I think Premier Investments is a better call for the consumer discretionary space. All right, it's a bit of an ETF then, isn't it really? Oh yeah, there you go, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> Spread the risk. Yeah, right. Uh, Mark, Harvey Norman. Yeah, it's it's a hold for the dividend pretty much as well. Um, it does tend to rally quite hard into the dividend. Um, and then if you have a look at the chart, back to uh, the, the last time it went X dividend, it, it fell off a cliff after that. So, uh, you know, you would probably expect this to remain fairly buoyant into, I think it's the end of the month, I, I think it goes ex-dividend. It doesn't pay for ages either, yeah. so it's a, a good four to six weeks or something like that. But um, the key to this is uh, basically, if you look into the retail sales numbers, they are at record highs, uh, the last retail sales number, um, 34.6 billion. And, um, but it was, you know, uh, to Adam's point about premier investments, Department stores, clothing and apparel, um, and those you know those sorts of uh, expenditures. Whereas uh, spending for household fell 1.1 percent, and it's fallen three out of the last four. So, you know it's you know whilst you've got to look into those retail sales numbers really to to know you know where the actual trends are, and um, I think yeah I think that premier investments is a you know it's actually at a fairly cheap price. We had, I was um, pretty fond, I thought it was very oversold, the consumer discretionary part, we did relatively well out of things like Nick Scarley, Super Retail, etc. Um, we, you know, Nick Scarley now is set essentially on its consistency, is just a hold, we'll just ignore the price. It, um, it just chips away all the time. Um, but things like Super Retail that are a little bit more cyclical, we've sort of taken our taking our dividend and taking our money. Um, but yeah, I, I would be more pushing towards where, you know, the, the trend in the retail sales numbers are with um, that record sort of spending on the, on the smaller, you know, on the smaller items rather than the big uh, household items. So, um, so yeah, yeah, but it's, look, it's a hold, it's a consistent, it's a consistent business with a really high dividend and, and look, the PEs, 
towards the bottom third of the range. It's not it's not expensive, mm. um, I, but yeah, if you if you've got it, and you, you know, you, I think your return on equity is pretty decent as well. You can I think you can definitely hold it. So, all right, that is a double hold on Harvey Norman. On to premium. Uh, Raju wanted to know about this, uh, the wealth management business. Uh, can you ask the experts uh, about it? Because it was trading higher last week, even when the sector was down. Uh, it also spiked in its recent results day. So obviously, Raju is looking for the positives at the moment. Uh, can you see them, Mark? Uh, this space, I think this is possibly maybe it's a bit more of a takeover target rather than anything else i think it'll it'll eventually end up getting gobbled up it's a small smaller player um probably prefer hub 24 maybe in the space um i think the the overall industry is uh obviously had a there's been a you know, mass exodus of financial planners etc so platforms like this are going to be you know more and more in demand um but you know it's incredibly high um high pe they've got a buyback going on at the moment um and they had some great inflows. Uh, so I think it was 2.9 billion, um, 16.6 million EBITDA. Um, but yeah, I, I think this will just probably, this is the sort of business that I, you know, with private equity sniffing around a lot of sort of tech businesses, I would have thought this one would be a prime target. I, I don't like to trade off, you know, that potential necessarily, but, um, but yeah, I, I, it's a hold for me. Um, I, you know, I, I think the bigger players are going to have are just going to have an advantage overall. But I, I think there's a definite chance of it. Uh, you know, given given that massive inflow of funds under management, which everyone's scrapping for at the moment, mm. um, I think that makes that puts a pretty big target on its back. Okay, Adam. So yeah, the only two suitors is Hub or Netwells, to be honest, oh. for that takeover. Um, both have got sort of in line. Both share prices of Hub and, and Netwells are in line, and they've sort of got the same amount of funds under management and cash in there. So it's really going to be, and Premium have done a really good job in cleaning up the business. They've got rid of their London or their international business. Mm. So that's actually cleaned that balance sheet or balance sheet that cleans up the books a little bit for someone who potentially might want to take it over because we don't really have any other sort of platforms left in our market. Managed accounts got taken over. Uh, there was a, another one that uh, got taken over as well. So there's not much. Mm. There's only three players, four players, and then you've got the BTs of the world and those kinds of things, which they're not that interested. They're still dealing with their other stuff as well. So I do think I agree with Mark that it is a takeover target, but you wouldn't be buying it for that. Certainly, um, I, I'm, we, we cover it at Shores. We say it's quite high risk and we've got to buy on it. So I'm going to stay with my analyst on the buy side of things. Revenue was up uh, 22%, but costs were also up as well. So that was sort of negated a lot of that. And and it looks like that it obviously, despite some good inflows from their SMAs and sort of their other VMA products, um, it really isn't sort of getting the market excited. But I do think that one day this thing will get taken over. So um, I'm going to stay with a buy on it. Okay, that's premium. Let's round it out with uh, West African Resources. Uh, Michelle wanted to know about this. Uh, in fact, it's uh, what's now a billion-dollar producer, strong cash flow, unhedged gold production, as uh, ramping up production. In fact, um, Adam, yeah, you see this one. So I'm going to give you the metrics first, and then I'm going to tell you, yeah, what I think about it. Um, West African Resources, I know it very well. We we helped raise money at 20 cents for this thing. I was in on this uh, pre-IPO, so I, I know a lot about this business. But overall, all in sustaining costs for West African resources is around about $1,000, $1,100. Um, and they produced uh, around about 130,000 ounces last year. So some good profitability there. They've got about 300 million sitting in the bank, or sorry, 208 million at the end of first half of 2022. Um, so look, money in the bank, also in sustaining costs is pretty average. Um, that has risen from $940 an ounce the year before. So again, the sort of higher costs are starting to eat into that margin. But overall, I think it, it, it's, it's okay uh, for what they're doing and they've got cash in the bank. However, I don't invest in companies that I don't understand the geopolitical risk of the country what they're in. West Africa, um, and you know, there's some there's coups going on, there's people dying, there's all of those kinds of things. And one day you can wake up and I can tell you 
many, many stories of where we've invested in companies where we don't understand the political landscape and one day you wake up and you basically don't have a company anymore because the government's taken over or something's yep. happened. So for me, it's too much risk or too much geopolitical risk to invest in West Africa because there is so much turmoil and stuff like And I don't know the governments that well over there also. So for me, it's an avoid. I'm going to stay away from it, albeit it is a producer, got all in sustaining costs, got cash in the bank. For me, it just doesn't meet that metric of being in a safe country where I know what's going on. So it's a, it's a no from me. Yeah, as you mentioned, given that uh, potential risk there, Mark... Yeah, that's that's why it trades at a discount. I think mm. it um, it's, it beats all the metrics across you know um, across the you know industry yeah. averages, um, and that's you know that's where it's priced in. I suppose um, I'm not playing in the gold sector pretty much at all at the moment, um, so it's not really something that's remotely been on my radar. Uh, I think we've uh, the clients that are. Um, other advisors, I think Gold Road would be their preferred. But it, it, look, the historical correlations for the gold price um, have just fallen apart over the last couple of years. So it's incredibly hard to predict, and I'm not going to put my clients into something I don't have any certainty over. Um, and US dollar keeps keeps rallying as well, which is never good for the gold price. Uh, interest rates keep going up, which is not good for the gold price. So realistically it's it's just not a space that i'm i'm even considering at the moment um particularly when you can you know when you've got a, a battle out there for a lot of other minerals um you know copper nickel um lithium etc um there's much better places to be uh you know, you know to be putting your money in terms of uh in terms of metals and you know precious metals etc and and yeah so it's just not something, I don't, and I don't really know whether I'll consider going back to, to gold unless there's a, a, something like the Ukraine um, invasion where it's always a very good quick trade to buy gold yeah. because it's people's default. Mm. But, but even, the then, investment, even, even then, then, it hasn't really done work. much. Well, yeah. on, average, yeah. the, on average, those spikes last less than 14 days. Yeah, so, right. you know, we... Right. My, with a trading background, we you know we were in the Northern Star and out of it within seven trading days. Yeah. It was a great little profit, and we haven't looked at it again realistically. And switched back, and well, many of the guys switched back to Gold Road. But yeah, it's a lot. Of, a lot of clients still think it's a hedge. I, it's, and I and I can't convince them otherwise. They may hold it, but it, but yeah, for me, it's not really. So it's an avoid as well. It's an avoid. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Let's sum up the second half of the show. Uh, Vanguard diversified. High growth index ETF. There it is. A buy from Adam. Uh, Mark, though, no. Um, he does mention things like the fees, but uh, generally not interested. Megaport, uh, the tech um, software company. There, a sell from Mark, a hold from Adam. Harvey Norman, the big retailer, a hold from uh, Adam uh, on the dividend alone. He says also a hold from Mark. Uh, premium. Uh, potential takeover mentions Mark. He's got a hold on it. Uh, Adam does have a buy on it, or at least Shaw's does. Uh, but it does mention the risk there. And finally, speaking of risk, certainly geopolitical <laughs> risk, um, and also where the gold price is or where it's not going, I should say, uh, both avoiding West African resources. All right, thanks to our guests. Mark, thanks for joining us in Macro. Thank you. And Adam from Shore Partners. Anytime. Oh, anytime. anytime. All right, you'll be back soon. <laughs> yeah. Good one. Anything you'd like us to, uh, any stocks you'd like us to cover, just send us an email, the call at osbiz.com.au. You can tweet us at osbiztv, and you can find those stocks in the calls portfolio. Head to osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. That's the show. Thanks for watching. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.